0: So I'm Olivier Mann, I'm a senior product manager on the CloudFormation team, and I'm super excited to be here, um, and super excited to be at reInvent meeting with our hundreds and hundreds of thousands of customers, well, not all here at reInvent, but um, getting some real opportunity to get some feedback, Um, and uh, as Dan said, we're super excited to meet with you, uh, those of you who have questions, feedback, comments, um, even if it's constructive or hard feedback, we're really excited to hear it. Um, because you, you are the ones that push us um, to define what CloudFormation is going to look like next year, next month, a uh, couple years, in, in five years. Um, and maybe one of you is going to give us the game-changing idea that's going to make CloudFormation um, even more powerful. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And uh, I've been here for a year and a half on the, on the CloudFormation team. Um,
1: Cool. All right. Let's actually go ahead and just jump into it, right? This is the agenda that we're going to talk about today. We're going to uh, kind of give you a, 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 an infrastructure as code, like, uh, uh, level up, right, Just kind of introduce it to folks who may not have heard of it before. We're going to talk about some best practices from, you know, topics such as authoring to testing to deploying, how do I go multi-account, multi-region, and, finally, maintain your stacks. And this is the one that we're going to spend a little bit of time on, that last one. That's the one that most stacks end up, you know, you know needing the most a little bit of love in. So we're gonna do a little bit of a Q&A session with kind of raising your hands. Um, how many of you deploy to production, you know, your application code, once a quarter or more? If you're once a week, this, you raise your hand here. Okay, that's most people, good, good stuff. Um, how many do it once a month or more? Okay, a couple less hands, not too bad. Once a week or more. Ooh, good bit of hands there, good job. How many of you have legitimately no idea how often you deploy whenever somebody commits, I don't control it, no one controls it, it just goes to production? Okay, couple of hands there, good. Let's talk after. I want to find out how you got there and what you did. And for those of you at home who couldn't see the hands, this is kind of what we were looking at, right? This is not too far of an approximation. Maybe the, the, the once a month was a little bit bigger than once a quarter, but this is kind of like the industry standard, right? This is some data from 2018. I can't wait to see the 2019 data. But what I'm really aiming for is to try and get that number from 3% to 7% to 19 to 57 right? I want folks who, you know, are scared of deploying to deploy more often, right? The best way to get, you know, uh, comfortable with it is to just do it more often, right? And these are some of the tips and tricks that we're going to teach you. Cool? Let's talk about what is CloudFormation. Um, A a good way that I describe it is with a food analogy, right? I come from a culinary background. This is something that I'm really comfortable with. If you had a burger stand, as an example, right, and you had all the ingredients you needed, and I came up to you and I said, hey, can I get a burger, maybe an impossible burger, right, because I'm a a veggie guy, Uh, you can make it for me. Wouldn't be too hard, right? You got all the ingredients, you know what to do. I then say, actually, you know what? I need a second burger, but it must look exactly like that first one. There must be no differences between them. Ooh, that's a little bit of a trickier proposition, right? You can get really close. You can you know, toast the buns in the same way, put just a little bit more you know, mayonnaise on it than you know, before. Maybe it, it cooked a little differently because you put it in a different spot. You can get it really, really close, but getting it perfect is hard. But you're a detail-oriented orient, detail engineer, right? You're, you're meticulous, and you get that second burger exactly right. Perfect, great, thanks. Actually, all five of my developers are hungry, too, and they each need one. Right? Now this is an impossible task. You're going to spend your entire day, your entire week, your entire month just spinning up identical environments, and you're going to make mistakes because you're human, and that's, that's what happens. So we're clever, right? and we invented things that are called build scripts to help us do it. You know, that one-line, 4,000-character bash function that no one really knows how it works because the person who made it left six years ago, and it works about 80% of the time. Right? And those are really scary to use, because when something goes wrong, now it's a hassle to kind of fix it. You don't really know where it went wrong. Someone asks you, hey, I actually need this to deploy to three different regions. Ooh, that's tricky. I don't have to accept another parameter. I want it to, I want it to be able to say what environment it's deploying to. Oh, that's even more tricky. Right? I want it to deploy an N number of accounts. Ooh, that's really hard. Right? And the reason that it's hard is because most of these tools, you tell them how to do the thing that you want to achieve. Right? Wouldn't it be nice Wouldn't it be nice if I could just tell you what I want my architecture to look like? And you figure, then the tool figures out how to get there, right? And that's the idea behind CloudFormation. CloudFormation is this declarative language right? that you just tell me, this is what I want my architecture to look like. It's a codified version. I want you know, all of these resources, and they must connect together in some way. I want my EC2 instances to live inside of my VPC that connects to an RDS you know, table in some private subnet while my EC2s are in some public subnet. CloudFormation is intelligent enough to handle that. right? So you codify that in either YAML or JSON. We have a couple of little things that make it that language our own. Um, We have some things that are called macros, which are higher-level abstractions on that where you can still stay declarative, telling us us what you need to do. But we're smart enough to kind of break that down into more resources. Uh, You can use things like higher-level languages, right? The CDK is a great example, right? I want to type in Python. I want to use Node, a a language that I'm more familiar with, and I want to kind of abstract maybe some of the things in CloudFormation away with uh, higher-level constructs. Or we have things like sample templates, right, where folks from our Quickstarts team, for example, may have gone out and done a common thing, right? I want a VPC with public subnets, private subnets, NAT gateway, um, internet gateway, things like that. So you then take that template and you hand it to us, and CloudFormation looks at it, chomps it up, figures out what you're trying to do, figures out the dependencies, how to deploy things, and actually spits out your application, connect it together the way that you want it to in a reliable, repeatable, and safe fashion. And that's really kind of, like, the interesting part behind that. But one of the things that folks tend to not think about is that when you write your CloudFormation template, you're actually writing kind of a config file, right? You're telling us how to get to what you want. And a thing that customers don't tend to think about is that config files are code, right? If I were to take away all of your config files today, would your production environment still be standing? Probably not, right? But we'd, we'd just kind of, you know, discard them and don't really think about them. We need to treat them as code. And infrastructure as code, which is what CloudFormation is, is code, right? So we need to treat it just like we would treat code. So we need to source it, right? We need to put it in version control. We gain all of the you know, wonderful things about version control. We gain auditability, right? Who changed this line? Let me go ask them why they changed it, right? We get things like, you know, a, a, a rollback, right? I, I want to roll back my, uh, uh, to a previous uh, state. I can do that, no problem with this. I can then trigger some other cool things like a pipeline. right? I then need to build it. I need to make sure that it works not only in my environment, but in a clean environment. right? None of this, it works on my laptop, it doesn't work on you know, her laptop, it doesn't work on his laptop. Whatever the case may be, we need to make sure that it works on the build box. The build box is a source of truth, so we need to do the same thing for something like uh, infrastructure as code. We then need to test it, right? We need to test to make sure that things work the way that we expect it to. If it doesn't, we're just kind of blindly deploying. And that's really, really terrifying, right? And that's where folks get into, like, you know, really scary situations where we thought it worked. It worked in our QA environment, but it's not quite like what our production environments look like. And then finally, once we've gone through, you know, sourcing it, building it, testing it, we're really confident we actually need to promote it and move that into production. Right? We move it into staging, we move it into production. The important part here is that there are no manual hands. Right? Everything is done in an automated fashion. Right? Robots are very, very, very good at doing one thing really, really well. And the way that most customers have found success in automated deployments is through just that, having no human hands. So I, I touched a little bit on what a pipeline is. Let's actually go you know, kind of a deep dive into what it is. The idea of a pipeline is it's kind of, you know, a, a, a queue that looks for work, right? When a thing happens, it then triggers another step. That then triggers another step as many times as you need, as much as you want it to do, right? In our example, this is the most common one. This is a very lean one. Folks, you know, like, like to add more things and remove things. A pipeline's a living, breathing thing. But here, we have a code commit uh, a, a repository where um, once something gets pushed into that code commit repository, it triggers our code pipeline, which makes a code build stage where we pull the template, we run, you know, tests against it. We use things like CFN Lint, CFN Nag, and Tasket. We'll jump into those a little bit later. We uh, then test it to make sure that it looks like kind of what we expect, and then we deploy it to staging and to production, right? Some important things to note about pipelines is pipelines are living, breathing things, right? You can't just create a pipeline and be like, okay, cool. I'm never touching this again. Your needs and your uh, 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 desires evolve over time, right? Uh, you may want to add more rigorous testing, right? Usually, the amount of automation you can add to you know, a series of steps is directly one-to-one tied with how good your testing is. So you may want to add even more testing, right? You may want to add some integration testing, whatever you, you, you may want to do um, to make sure that things are as rigorous as possible. Here we're using AWS Code Commit, Code Pipeline, Code Build because they have really nice integration with CloudFormation. But you can use open source tools as well, right? You can use stuff like GitHub, you can use stuff like Bitbucket, um, um, uh, uh, GitLab. You can use tools like Jenkins. You can use things like uh, Travis CICD. You don't have to be, you know, uh, 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 very strict on what you use. Just make sure that the idea stays consistent throughout, right? So now that we've talked about, you know, like the the very, you know, basic introduction to this, Olivier, do you have any thoughts on the authoring experience? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> but actually, can I just
0: add something about the pipelines? Um, as we've been meeting with customers, um, obviously over the last year, but also right, right here and now at Reinvent, um, one of the things that we hear is, "Hey, but you know, I, I, I use a pipeline for my application code, obviously, right and um, you know, continuous delivery works there. Um, but, but should I do the same thing for my infrastructure? And uh, we really want to kind of insist on that as a best practice, right? Um, that having an infrastructure pipeline is definitely important. Um, is definitely a best practice. In fact, a lot of our customers uh, tend to um, build the infrastructure and um, their application um, updates into a pipeline. Uh, so that they're sure that every time they're deploying code, application code, uh, their infrastructure gets updated, too. Um, So let's start on our journey um, around kind of managing CloudFormation stacks and templates um, with the first step. So the first step is authoring, right? And Dan and I have a bet or a goal. Um, We want, coming out of this session and, uh, um, I guess, coming out of reInvent, never ever to hear again about a customer who is authoring CloudFormation in Notepad. So the next slide, if it comes up, is about that. Let's start with picking an editor, right? Whether you prefer VS Code, Sublime, Atom, Cloud9, um, if, you're, um, um, if you want an online uh, um, editor, um, or, or any of these others, right, um, you'd never really think about uh, coding uh, Java or C++ or, or JavaScript um, uh, without an editor, right? Um, because there's just functionality that all of us have gotten used to, right? Um, uh, syntax highlighting um, and a number of like a, a wealth uh, an ecosystem of plugins um, and uh, just easier formatting visibility, um, being able to kind of fold um, uh, sections, um, etc so you know let's let's just start with the basics and, and please let's um, author CloudFormation in an editor um, and and, you know, let's think about what we can actually do to add um, some, uh, some sugar, some candy, some tools to, uh, into these editors. Um, and as, as Dan and I, you know, have been talking to customers um, a lot, uh, one, of the fe- one of the big kind of areas of feedback we get is, um, you know, when I offer my template and then I, maybe I'm using the console um, or... Um, you know, I'm I'm starting out with cloud formation, etc., and so I'm I'm just kind of uh, playing around with the console. And <clears throat> as I, um, you know, actually create the stack with the template I just authored, um, I, I, I get a validation error. Right, like my um, template was not formed properly um, syntactically. Um, and to catch this type of error um, much earlier on. Uh, I think we've been harping on this quite a bit. We still see a lot of customers that run into these types of issues, which really slow down the dev test cycle. And so we really recommend um, linting your templates. Um, there's a tool out there, there are a number of tools out there. We re- really recommend and have gotten a lot of really positive customer feedback around CFN Python Lint. Uh, it's been downloaded more than 3 million times, it's integrated with SAM Local, um, it handles conditions, ifs. Uh, it can process multiple files, and, and, you know, what does it actually do? Well, it really helps you um, catch, you know, malformed templates. Um, for example, here, you can see on line 13, uh, I kind of fat-fingered AWS colon colon ADW, uh, EC2 colon colon instance, right, and added a one at the end. Well, I may have caught that only once I was actually creating the stack, and then, you know, it would have taken me some time to find where that um, issue lied in my template, et cetera. And here, it's getting caught. And I can have visibility over all of the warnings, errors, et cetera, um, straight in my um, editor.
1: Yeah, let me jump in here real quick. Uh, A small little, like, anecdote. I'm running a workshop where, you know, we learn how to author CloudFormation templates, best practices, Um, and one of the things that I do is I I show folks the wrong way to do it, a little bit better of a way to do it, and the correct way to do it, and CFN Python lint consistently says, hey, you're doing it the wrong way. Here's the best practice way to do it. It always catches little things that, you know, it's great for customers, trips up my workshop a little bit.
0: Thanks, thanks, yeah. Um, So, and and what's great about this linter is it, it actually, you know, Works with a lot of the popular IDEs out there, so here's here's a list of them. Um, another thing to help you get more productive in the authoring phase is auto completion. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we, we can fat finger um, you know some of these uh, complex resource types, for example. And uh, um <clears throat> we've uh, actually the CloudFormation team developed uh, an auto complete plugin that works for Visual Code and PyCharm. Um, and what it does is it auto completes not only the resource types, as you can see here, uh, but it also uh, auto completes required or non-required properties um, ad- as needed. Um, what's really a great selling point of this plugin too is it links automatically to documentation. So no more need for you know Google searching and uh, you know um, uh, trying to find the right uh, the right section of the documentation, etc. This will this will link. Uh, directly there and make it much easier for you as you're, as you're starting out maybe with a new resource type uh, that you haven't um, used before in uh, CloudFormation. So definitely recommend using this, too, and this will make you much more uh, productive and effective as you're, um, as you're um, authoring. Um, we also ran into this that we, that we really think is a, is a great um, you know, walk through some of the best practices for supercharging your editor. I won't go into this in much detail. I we'll would definitely recommend you, guys, you, you folks um, looking into this. Um, and one, one, of the, one of the tips I took out of this is, you know, not only is the linter, I guess, built with a great baseline of, of rules um, that will catch a lot of syntactical uh, mistakes and templates, but it's also um, um, extensible. Uh, I can add custom rules. So, for example, I never want an S3 bucket um, in a template that's non encrypted, or, you know, I have a specific uh, naming uh, convention for um, a lot uh, for, for uh, specific resource types. Um, and, and this will really enable you to, to catch, um, you know, anything and everything that you may want to catch in your, in your template um, before you uh, actually execute it. So let's get into you know, the actual different sections of the template, and um, we'll, we'll try and add some you know, tips and tricks uh, for each of these different sections. Um, we, we do notice, as we kind of go through um, a number of customer templates, um, that not everyone is using all the, all the great tools and all the great um, features um, that are available in CloudFormation templates. So let's go with the, the first section, parameters. Um, Obviously, um, we want templates to be reusable. That's the whole point of a template, really. We don't want you hard-coding values and definitely not hard-coding secrets. Um, And so that you can then, you know, write your best practice once, author it, and then share it across an organization, um, we want to really insist, obviously, on parameterization. Now, what's great about parameterization is that Number one, you can actually add validation, right? So you can add min values, max values. You can add some kind of regex type validation to them. Um, You can also uh, improve the user experience of someone who's going to consume your template by grouping parameters together, um, by adding labels, descriptions. Um, There's really a lot you can do with that section to make it easy to share a template across your organization and um, for folks uh, not to have to reach out. to you afterwards uh, to, to kind of understand how it all fits together, and uh, we also recommend in the parameter section to uh, you know keep your secrets in uh, Systems Manager um, Parameter Store and also um, or uh, Secrets Manager. Um, definitely recommend you know leveraging that integration um, as
1: much as possible. Yeah, please do not keep your secrets in like Parameters. P- Folks put them in parameter files, and that's a big security risk, right? Somebody might find your GitHub and actually, like, scrape all that stuff, and now you're in a lot of trouble. Be sure to leverage these uh, things. It's just, like, a safety best practice.
0: Definitely. Um, Now, onto the mappings and conditions section. So mappings work like a case statement does uh, in in higher-level kind of programming. Um, And what typically customers use these for, uh, um, to basically define a value uh, dependent on, say, a region. Uh, so, you know, in U.S. East 1, uh, I'm going to use this MEID, and uh, in um, EU Central 1, I'm going to use this other one. Um, this, once again, makes it much easier to reuse the same template across different regions and across different accounts, different environments, yeah. and you can also use conditions uh, to do this, right? If dev, then uh, instance type equals T2 micro, for example, and if it's prod, then it's uh, m 4x large.
1: One of the most common things that we see for mappings is um, uh, outside of uh, uh, Omni IDs is, like, in an environment, right? I want environment variables in some of my things. If it's, you know, if I put in a a, a parameter that is, you know, we're in the dev mode, I want to have these things, I want to have these alarms. So that's a really common thing that I see folks doing, and that's something that most of you should probably be leveraging as well.
0: Definitely. Thanks. Um, And then there's the, um, the output section. Let's talk a bit about imports and exports. Um, We'll get into this a little bit um, uh, afterwards. And and we obviously, we we recommend as a best practice, uh, breaking up your stacks. um, Because it makes it easier to maintain them, and it kind of reduces blast radius um, when you're updating them. Um, And to do this, uh, we need to leverage imports and exports. um, Or we also call them cross-stack references. and we have kind of two major main ways of doing this. Uh, one way is um, leveraging cross-stack references um, as they're you know as they're built within CloudFormation, so imports and exports, uh, and leveraging this output section. Um, now there are some pros and cons of doing this. The pro is it's a very safe approach. Uh, that being said, um, if you are exporting a value that is being imported in another template. Um, we will not allow you to change that value because that has a number of safety risks. Um, and uh, So in order to update it, you're then going to have to uh, basically uncouple the two stacks and make the update and then recouple them. Um, so we see that as an advantage, but obviously also a disadvantage if that's a value or, or a resource, you're going to be updating a lot. So. Um, what we see our customers doing a lot, and what we also recommend, if, if as I said, this is uh, these are resources you're going to be updating on a on a regular basis, is actually using Systems Manager. So what you can do um, is export, is leverage this output section to export um, into Systems Manager parameter store, and then um, in the other template you can uh, then import that value uh, that was exported, um, and this so. Once again, pros and cons, this is outside the purview of cloud formation, so we don't have any, um, we're unable to kind of, you know, uh, be intelligent about those values, um, if you like, um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and see that relationship. Um, but it, what's great about that is it makes it more flexible to manage um, those two or multiple different stacks um, as, you're, as you're maintaining them. Um, in the long run. Um, Something else that we've seen as we've gone over customer templates is uh, um, the use of join. Um, So in the olden days of CloudFormation, join was kind of a hacky way of um, basically getting what sub now offers, which is um, uh, substituting values uh, into templates. And so we definitely recommend, and this is just kind of a small tip, but as we've seen a bunch of customers kind of still, you know, using join to do that, we definitely want to recommend, you know, using sub.
1: Yeah, and and like, as you're looking for stuff online, right, you're Googling, hey, can I get a starter template, you're going to find that all of these old stacks have joins that are almost impossible to read, right? They're really difficult to write, read, and reason about, right? It is worth your time to go in and actually get good at changing these into subs just so that folks that come after you can really understand what you're doing.
0: Yeah. You'll see, we really insist on making it easy for you to share these best practices, right? Because someone may leave and, uh, and, and, and definitely, right, templates want to be authored once and shared a lot uh, and updated in, in kind of one central location. Um, and so um, all of this makes it just, you know, easier to read, right, and easier to understand. Um, and another little tip uh, that, that you know, will make you, I guess, use less and leverage less of mappings um, is uh, actually leveraging the parameter store um, for the latest AMI instance IDs. Um, That's a little tip, but um, it means that you won't need to kind of manage the hard coding of those AMI IDs anymore, and you can just leverage um, uh, SSM for that. Um, Cool. Um, Finally, now you've you know, set up your dev environment and um, you're feeling comfortable, you're feeling productive, you're, you've got the linter working and uh, you're auto completing and you've, um, you know, put into practice all of these um, cool tips and tricks. Um, now you're going to commit your template to source control. Um, now, this has a number of advantages and we could probably spend a whole hour just talking about them, but I want to highlight two. Number one, um, auditability. Who made this change? Why was it made? Um, uh, you know, what caused this issue, etc. Um, if you're just kind of sharing templates via email, or um, uh, and, and we have seen this right in the same way we've seen folks uh, using uh, Notepad. Um, you know we, we really recommend you know committing your template. And the other really good thing about um, committing is that uh, and something a lot of our customers ask us about is. Um, you know, how do I get back to V9 of my stack, right? I'm in V10 now, or maybe V11, and, uh, you know, it's not quite working as I wanted it to, um, and so I want to get back to V9. So all you have to do then is just revert um, that commit and, uh, you know, push that update, and you're back to V9. So now you're fully authored. Why don't you tell us some more about testing?
1: Yeah, sure, we will do. So Testing is kind of interesting, right? Um, you can test code pretty easily, but really, how do you test infrastructure? That's a kind of interesting question, right? And Forrest Browsing really kind of touches on what this means. Um, if you have a traditional you know, architecture where you have you know, uh, VMs from VMware, maybe, or you have just bare-metal instances where the code that sits on top is really the important part, and if one of your instances go down, you can just kind of replace it. Not a big deal. Not the end of the world. It's really easy to test that code, right? You can have a testing suite that it goes through a whole suite of tests, and you can make sure that it works. But as we move more into a serverless kind of you know, universe and service architecture, the code becomes less important, right? Even if you write beautiful, perfect code on your Lambda, it doesn't do anything unless it's triggered by that SQS queue, right? So your infrastructure is just as important as the code that you know, uh, runs off of it. So we need to make sure that we can test our infrastructure. Sorry about that. We can test our infrastructure to make sure that you know, it's working in the same way that we expect it to. And it's a little, you know, it, it, it's a different mindset than just straight up testing code. So one of the things that we do is that CFN Lint plugin that we talked about has a couple of extra things that it can do. It can run in a headless mode. And what that means is it can run in a command line and actually spit out the same things. This isn't as good if you're trying to, you know, uh, improve your dev test cycle. You really want to see that feedback live. But as kind of a bar-raising technique in your pipeline, this is something that you want to do. I want to make sure that every, you know, commit that goes through is run by cfn lint and cfn lint says yes you're good to go. This is great if you have something like extensibility things of the cfn lint rules, right? I've made an extension a developer really doesn't want to, you know, do that. They kind of want to push that off to the site. No, you must meet this bar before it even goes into your source control. And this is really nice. In an organization you can kind of control, you know, the quality of developers that you have. If you have an open source project, you really can't you just accept commits from whoever might want to send them. This makes it so that, hey, you're sending a commit. Cool, it must follow the rules that we've set, otherwise we won't even look at it. Right, so CFInlet runs wonderfully you know, as kind of like that pre-validation step but let's talk about the actual testing, right? This is a tool that we have called Taskcat. It is made by the AWS Quick Starts team. It's an open source tool, just like CFN Lint. You're, you're gonna see us investing a lot into the open source community. This is something that, that an area that we're really, really excited you know, to, to be a part of, and we're looking for you know, contributors and feedback. But what Taskcat does, it's a really simple idea, is Taskcat takes a template that you hand it, and it actually deploys it in the region that you want and only if it succeeds does Tascat say, yep, everything's good to go. If it doesn't succeed, Tasket rolls it back, gives you the thumbs down, and does a deep clean of all of the resources that didn't you know, make it. If you have something like Retain, it'll take care of that, too. Um, one of the neat things about this is it catches problems that aren't super obvious. Let's say, right, this is just an example. We have our application in US East 1, Right? and we want to go into Sao Paulo for whatever reason. right? Uh, maybe we want to go in, you know, into the Frankfurt region for uh, uh, data sovereignty reasons. We go ahead and deploy it with Taskcat, and Taskcat actually says, hey, that didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because this resource does not exist in you know, Frankfurt. This instance type you know, doesn't exist. It's, it's an old instance type, which doesn't exist in one of these regions. That's something I never would have thought of, and Taskcat is really great at finding and sussing out these little things. Right? And because it's multi-region, it works really well with stack sets, right? You can deploy to all of the regions that, you're, that you want that you're interested in to make sure that your stack will create successfully. Cool. Now with that done, let's actually talk about deploying Olivier.
0: Yeah.: So number one best practice in terms of now you've authored your template, you've built it, tested it, um, let's, let's deploy it um, in a safe way. Um, we recommend using change sets. What are change sets? Uh, change sets are a way for you to know um, what effect uh, CloudFormation operation is gonna have on the actual underlying resources. Um, so what it will tell you is a number of, um, it will, sorry, it will list um, all the actual changes that are, go- that are gonna be made. So as you can see, it will either tell you, hey, this resource is gonna be modified, or it's gonna be deleted, or it's gonna be replaced, um, or it's going. Or we're adding. Hey, by the way, we're adding this S3 bucket or this security group. Um, and what's great about change sets is it um, opens the door for um, what we like to call the two-person rule. And you know, we definitely recommend it as a best practice too. So uh, someone creates the change set, and then you know, you enforce that someone else will actually come and uh, approve it before before it gets executed. Or maybe uh, this is this is potentially a manual step in your pipeline, um, and you. Um, have as a be- best practice in your organization that um, a second person is going to execute change sets that were created. Um, definitely recommend that. Um, and uh, you know, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback um, around um, change sets. And, and you know, we, we've kind of harped on this already, but uh, we definitely want to kind of talk about it and, and uh, insist on this fact that you know, deployment to production should happen through pipelines. Um, and should be fully automated. This makes it safe. Um, You know, you're just basically staying away from, um, oh, I forgot to run CFN and I didn't catch this. Um, Or, hey, uh, you know, I have this this rule in my organization that X, Y, Z, and I forgot to run it, and, you know, now um, I'm left in, in kind of a messed up state. Um, if you automate all of this uh, in a pipeline, then it makes it safe or, um, and repeatable, and and it <clears throat> will ensure that as you're deploying infrastructure, um, you're closer to a 99.9 success rate rather than a you know, manual maybe 60 70% of the time. You actually get everything done in the right order and successfully. Um, pipelines, and this is a great area of... Uh, concern for customers is how can I lock down access to production resources? Uh, pipelines are a great way to do this. So what you do is you set up an IAM role, and you basically only let um, you know code pipeline um, assume that role, um, and that way you know you don't have any uh, bad surprises anymore, uh, where someone has changed something somewhere, and the next time you're updating your infrastructure. Um, you, you may be left in a, in a, in a dangerous or messy state. Um, so now you've deployed using your pipeline, um, you, you've built your pipeline, you've built this automated system. Um, how do you scale up Dan?
1: Yeah. so some. Applications actually you know, kind of want to go multi-account, multi-region, right? Depending on the things that you're kind of doing. And we have a, a great tool for this, and it's called StackSets, right? StackSets is kind of near and dear to my heart because I was actually on the team that built it. I used to be an engineer before I moved into the advocacy role, and this is one of the things that I'm really, really proud of. StackSets, what it does is it's this idea of, hey, I have a really good, you know, template as a, or my application, or maybe have, you know, some uh, IAM roles or some uh, guard duty things, and I want to actually move them to different accounts and different regions, right? And this is a, a really great tool that kind of does that in the way that you expect CloudFormation to do it, right? Safely, reliably, and repeatedly, right? You uh, tell us the regions that you want to go to, the order that you want us to go in, and we'll actually go ahead and do that deployment on your behalf. One of the cool things that we've been doing, we've been making a lot of updates to StackSets based on specifically the feedback that customers have given us. So it's really important that we get your voice heard and we can make all these changes. One of the things that we've done is we can give you fine-grained control of which instances to update at a time. So let's say you have three accounts in three regions and that's nine total. Instead of deploying to all nine and kind of having that nine instance blast radius, we can deploy to one first and see if that works, and then if that does, we can roll out to three, and then once we're happy with that, we roll out to six, and then finally to all nine, right? giving customers that level of control that they expect while still having the safety of uh, CloudFormation. We've also increased the limits for stack sets. Right? We were at 20 stack sets. Now we're at 100 without anything. You, know, you need to do anything. It's part of your account already, up from 500 instances to 2,000 instances. Right? It's something that we were really excited to roll out. Also, and this is something that we haven't officially um, uh, deployed out yet, but you'll, you'll, you'll be seeing this soon. We're very excited to talk about it. StackSets now works with organizational units. It has a very deep and very intelligent you know, coupling with organizational units. You have a brand new account that's joining uh, your organizational unit. If it's attached to StackSets, we'll deploy the templates that you have in that StackSet to that account automatically. That account leaves your OU, will remove the uh, resources there. So that's really good for stuff like spinning up new accounts and making sure that they're, you know, uh, 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 at that same baseline. The other one is... Customers um, told us that they love stack sets, and one of the uh, 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 things that they wanted to improve on it was the trust relationships between accounts, right? We can't really trust, you know, that all the accounts they're trying to deploy to are yours. We need to make sure of that through trust relationships the customers asked. Make, make that a little, a, a, a little nicer to use, and that's something that we delivered, right? These are automatically managed via OU. in your OU, you trust it, so we will deploy resources to it. All right, so now this is, you know, you kind of introduction stacks, that's let's talk about some of the use cases that customers have been telling us about. And- The first one is is one of the most common, right? We have this account factory type idea. Hey, I have a new person who's onboarding. It would take me a long time to kind of, you know, actually spin up their account manually. I want you to baseline it with all of the IAM roles, all of the guard duty, all of the config, all of the CloudTrail resources, right? This is not so much a CloudFormation best practice, but just a best practice in general for AWS, splitting up your developer accounts, one for each developer. A thing that I see often is, hey, we have one you know, developer account, and we have 20 developers on it. Okay, cool. Um, what happens if one of, that, one of those resources goes down? I have one developer working and 19 just kind of waiting. Right? That's not great. You want to optimize for your time. So Stacks, it allows you to do that a lot simpler. Another thing that we uh, see customers doing is the same type of thing, but they set each account up a little differently, depending on you know what group is running it, right? I might have developers, might have QA, might have admins, might have networking folks, whatever you, you know the the those roles need to be. You can set them up, and you can do that with fine-grained controls. And then finally, the last one, the one that I've been talking about the most, is you want to roll out you know some of these resources cross-region, you know, cross uh, account for you know uh, durability reasons. Maybe it's for uh, uh, regulatory reasons. Stack allows you to do that, again, in a really safe and a very controlled manner. Cool? And some of the best practices that customers have been telling us about for Stack Sets is just that, right? Make sure that you have that small blast radius for updates. You can do the partial updates, again, the one to three to six to nine to, you know, 500 to 1,000 to 2,000. Make sure that those are small, and make sure that you can sanity test them to make sure that they work the way that you expect it to before rolling out. So you've tested you know, on 5 of your accounts, 10 of your accounts, and you're really comfortable rolling out to the remaining 50, but you want to do it quickly, StackSets allows you to do that, too. Right? You can set your maximum uh, account concurrency limit to 100%, and it'll roll out to uh, as many as it can in the same region at the same time, maximizing the speed that you can get. Another one is not every region or account you know, is the same as the other ones. Maybe in US East 1, you have an SLA of two hours instead of the normal eight. With stack you can get that fine grained control and say, hey, this parameter should be two for US East 1 and everywhere else should be eight. You get that real real power there. And then uh, finally, I'm stealing a little bit of your thunder here and I hope you forgive me, But uh, separate your stacks by function, right? And by frequency of of how often they change. Again, it's all about that minimizing that blast radius, keeping that small, keeping it so that changes don't affect too many things at once. And if something does go bad, you can kind of roll it back. So now that I've stolen your thunder, here. I'll let you get that last one, the the, the juicy part.
0: So, you know, as uh, as Dan mentioned, what what we see is, and I'm going to, you know, talk about what are best practices now for maintaining your stacks, right? Um, so you started off in the same way as you do with application code, right? So you start off with a simple product, and it, it looks great. And it's, uh, it's uh, you know, a few, hundred, a few tens or hundreds of lines of code, and it's all well uh, bundled in nice and neat classes and functions and methods. Um, but then as you start adding features to that, um, your code tends to become a little more complex. Um, well, the same thing is true with stacks, what we see is a lot of customers start with a nice, neat template, and then they start adding resources and resources and resources, until and so they get to 150, 190 resources, and they're like, "Oh man, you know, this is this is not as easy as I thought it would be to maintain, etc." Um, and so, we definitely recommend breaking up your stacks um, by lifecycle. Um, So as you can see here, right, bundle your front-end resources, your stateful resources, your monitoring resources together. Um, Because typically you'll be updating them with the same frequency and you don't need to be um, touching on uh, other resources while you're updating them. Um, And obviously to do this, you'll you'll leverage import-exports, cross-stack references, um, or uh, systems manager parameter store integrations Uh, to kind of manage these inter-stack relationships. Um, We also really insist on reusing stacks by environment. I kind of harped on this already quite a bit, um, but we really need to um, make sure we have one template uh, that's the source of truth for as many kind of different um, environments and, and use cases as possible. Because uh, if I'm changing one template, I don't want to have to go and change that um, in six other areas. Because I just, you know, worked out a new uh, configuration, new best practice for X Y Z resource. Um, so we use that stack uh, by environment across Dev, Test, Stage, and Prod. Um, now, let me give you a little more, uh, a little context around a really cool, powerful feature that we just released. That's called resource import. Now, what resource import allows you to do? Um, is import a resource, surprising, huh, um, that was originally created outside of CloudFormation. So maybe it was created using you know, manual tools, console, CLI. Um, and <clears throat> um, you know, it was impossible previously to bring uh, that resource into CloudFormation without deleting and then recreating it uh, using CloudFormation. Well, now, uh, and this is especially powerful for stateful resources that may be serving production traffic. Um, you can import them and start modeling them in CloudFormation with relationships and leveraging all of CloudFormation's um, safety features such as rollbacks um, and updates, etc., um, uh, termination protection, um, deletion policies, etc. So. <clears throat> um, now, back to the, the kind of original topic, which was, how do I you know, manage my stacks with a little more flexibility? Well, resource import really opens this door now. Um, we were always, we, we, we've been able um, to detach resources from stacks safely for some time. Um, we do this by, you know, adding a deletion policy, um, which, by the way, is a safe operation. It doesn't actually touch the resource. It's a you know, metadata-only operation on our end. Um, so you don't need to worry about updating um, a resource to do that. Um, and then you, you're able to then detach the resource and, and import it into either a new stack um, or an existing stack. So uh, this allows you to refactor or regroup um, resources um, And then leverage import exports, um, as as we kind of already discussed, um, uh, to define relationships across these stacks. So um, super excited about this. A lot of customers have been kind of requesting this. I'm just throwing a couple more use cases for this. Right, You can also uh, leverage import for renaming stacks, um, renaming um, resources. You can also use it to actually create um, nested stacks. So potentially, um, we actually haven't talked about this much, but if you're not into kind of cross-stack references, you can definitely leverage nested stacks, and, and um, import actually allows you to import a stack and make it a resource um, uh, of another one. Cool. Um, okay, another situation that um, a lot of our customers encounter is what we call drift. So what drift is, um, is when someone, um, because it was 2 a.m. and the, dev- the, the, the poor developer was on call and he was trying to manage an issue uh, in production, um, what he had to do is make a change to a resource, but outside of CloudFormation. Now, we've said, you know, best practice is to lock down that access, um, but it still happens um, sadly on a pretty regular basis that, you know, uh, the template values and the Actual configuration of a resource um, drift, um, or are not the same. So as you can see in this example, the read capacity units and write capacity units that uh, CloudFormation believes are, um, uh, or CloudFormation believes they're set at two, um, but the actual configuration is now 15. Because you know at 2 a.m. Uh, we there was a customer latency issue and we detected that it was due to um, you know, throughput uh, to the, the DynamoDB table. So now we have this drift, right? My intent and my actual configuration no longer match. Well, um, similarly as with refactoring stacks, I can use um, import to remediate drift um, in a completely safe way. So. As you can see here, initially read capacity, RCUs, WCUs were set to two. What I do is I detach the resource, as I just explained. And then I can import it back into the stack after I've just made that little change to the the original template um, in source code, obviously. Um, And I've changed the RCUs and WCUs to 15. And now, uh, template and actual configuration uh, match again. So live state and template state. uh, agree with each other. Um,
1: and uh, now I'll let Dan kind of conclude. Sure. I think he's trying to kill the rest of my voice with this one. OK. So we actually <laughs> went through a lot of stuff, right? We actually talked about a lot. Let's go ahead and recap everything that we did to make sure that we have you know, the key takeaways from today. right? The first one is put all of your assets in version control from the start. There's a lot of really good things that we talked about. right? Another one that we didn't really harp on too much is if your uh, infrastructure's code template is in version control, you can then have code reviewers, right, review it before it actually goes into production, right? We can find mistakes. We can find things, issues in them earlier on. Another one is leverage modern editors and plugins. right? How long would it take you to actually write an entire uh, program in C if you had to just use Notepad? It would take forever, right? You'd be stuck you know, with little things the entire time before you can even compile anything. Let's use you know, the tools that we have available, tools that folks have been using and improving and building on to make these things a little easier. Uh, optimize that editor that you have. For AWS CloudFormation, right, and this works for stuff like CDK, right, and any other infrastructure as code tools that you may be using. Make sure that the editor that you're leveraging is built for the thing that you want to do, right? Use the plugins. Find more plugins. One plugin we didn't talk about too much, even though we mentioned a little bit, was CFN Nag. You'll find it in that slide that we said about supercharging your editor. What CFN Nag does is it looks at your uh, infrastructure is code template and it looks for security issues right common things and it helps you find those best practices and these are things that you just shouldn't have to be thinking about right the tools that you have should do all of these things for you if there's one like underlying uh, uh, topic here it's use tools to make your life easier right that's the one thing that kind of my job really boils down to helping people find those tools the other one, using a pipeline, right? Any time I start any project, even if it's just a side project that will eventually die in obscurity, I start with a pipeline, right? It, it costs me about 30 minutes to set up and saves me hours of time in the future because there's no manual deployment that takes you know, 30 seconds, two minutes to do. I don't have to babysit that. I know what's gonna happen in the background. I can check in just a bit. Right? These are steps that you can have to just kind of solidify the steps that you do manually all the time anyways. And pipelines are living, breathing things. You're going to have to go in, you're going to have to change, you're going to have to fix it. One customer told us um, pretty recently that one of the steps in his pipeline is he detects drift before he does any updates. Right? That's a really cool thing that, hey, I know that my stack is in a state where everything should work just fine and there shouldn't be any problems. That's a very powerful thing that he's doing. UCF and Lint, both for editing and in the pipeline. Again, back to tools, right? Make sure that the little things, the best practices you may not have thought of that somebody else did, you can see them without having to actually, you know, go through the hardship of learning it by experience. And in the pipeline, you can set that minimum bar, right, for folks that they have to meet this bar before we can even get into source control. Test on different environments using Taskcat, right? Make sure that things roll out the way that you expect it and roll back. One, one of the important parts here for Taskcat that customers have told us is try to use Taskcat in a brand new account that has nothing in it, right? It is not fun to find out that Taskcat works successfully, but only because there's kind of like a lingering role that Taskcat can use, right? That your resources need, and that's the one that grants permission to everything. When you actually go to use in production, that role doesn't exist and things break. Right, it's the same idea as like using Code Build to you know use a, 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 a kind of like that neutral ground. Same idea here. Use change sets and pipelines to deploy safely. Right, uh, change sets. You want to know what's going to actually deploy out before you actually hit that button. It you know it, it's not very safe to just kind of you know close your eyes and yellow deploy. Right, no one wants to do that. We want to make sure that the changes that are coming out are the same things that we expect. So CloudFormation and I are on the same page. And then once that's done, hands off. Let CloudFormation handle the deploy for you, right? Let your pipeline do that rest of that work. I don't want to have to do any manual steps of copying over folders and, oh no, I actually copied the old folder and now we're two versions behind and now everything starts breaking. That is terrifying and has actually happened to me, right? We don't want that to happen. Um, So anything that you can do to get your hands off of that deployment will save you time, save you effort, and most importantly, save you time later trying to figure out what's happening. Refactor your stacks, right? Refactor them for reuse. Uh, templates should not work on just my account only. They should work on all types of accounts. I should be able to hand you the templates that I'm working on today, and you should be able to deploy them, assuming you have the permission to your account. That's what we should do, and we should make it so that a lot of the things are handled automatically. That um, environment mapping is a thing that I just, you know, take with me in basically every template. I want to deploy some certain things into my um, Lambda, you know, based on what environment I'm in. It's very easy. I want to make sure that I have an alarm that only works in prod, but not in, you know, my staging environment, because I don't want to be woken up at 2 a.m. because something broke in staging. Yeah, I know it's staging. Don't wake me up about it, right? And these are little things that you can do to just kind of, you know, help that shareability, that modularity of your stacks. Smaller templates are easier to test, maintain, and quicker to deploy, and this is very important, right? Keeping that blast radius small, as well as keeping your stacks you know, uh, lean and live, right? So that when you actually do deploy, it doesn't take you know, 20 minutes to deploy your 200 stack monstrosity, right? So 200 resource monstrosity, we just want to make them you know, 10 resource here, five there, you know, maybe 15 there, make them you know, nice, easy, and don't wait on that pipeline to you know, take a long time to deploy. Your things will get backed up if you do that. Refactor large stacks with resource import. The person he was talking about that put 200 resources into their stack, that's me. Hi, nice to meet you. It is not fun to actually try and go and you know, make an update to something that has 200 resources while I'm there, f- fingers crossed double checking that I didn't accidentally delete a resource that I really needed, but I forgot to kind of you know maintain. That's a scary proposition. We want to make things as, you know, as, as easy and as, as confident as we can. Detect and drift, right? There are drift um, um, config rules that you can run every so often to check you know, the status of drift across you know, your resources and your stacks to make sure that things are in sync. And when you find a problem, leverage that wonderful tool that we came out with, you know, resource import. Actually, you know, detach the thing and re-grab it back in kind of like Pac-Man, right? Um, it's going to make your life easier when you actually go to do an update and you're 100% sure that CloudFormation is going to know what to do. Finally, consider stack uh, right, for cross-account and cross-region use cases. The most common one, the one that, that we see customers leveraging a lot, is that account factory base strategy, right? That's a really powerful thing to make sure that you know, the, 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 the accounts that you're uh, giving developers have the powers that they need, while also keeping them safe, right? Having those permission boundaries, or hey, you can actually deploy the, I don't know, the uh, uh, giant, you know, instances where you're going to deploy, you know, T2s, you know, M4 to maybe large kind of thing to make sure that developers can keep themselves safe as well. Cool. So that's what we have for you for the uh, CloudFormation talk. We also have this wonderful training and certification that we're doing. So you're learning a lot at reInvent now. There's no reason that you have to stop learning once you go home, right? We offer these wonderful certifications for the uh, DevOps section, right? You become a DevOps engineer. Uh, Professional or an associate with these uh, certifications. They're wonderful. They're going to help you along in your career. They are uh, uh, things that will improve you as an engineer. With that being said, thank you. Thank you so very much. I am Dan. I'm Olivier. You can find us on Twitter. Thank you guys so very much for coming. And most importantly, please fill out your sessions your service in the app, let us know how we did. This is something that we're really passionate about, something that we really want to improve. This is a talk we're going to give outside of reInvent as well. Let us know how we did, what we can do to improve. And finally, we will be outside to answer questions once I take a breath and calm down a little bit. Thank you all so very much.